You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hi, welcome to Nick Luck Daily. It's Thursday, the 22nd of December. We are but four days out from a Grade 1 extravaganza on Boxing Day between Great Britain and Ireland. And Jane Mangan joins me, uh, Jane, to, to look ahead to this. Um, the, the key bit of news emerging yesterday, late on yesterday, Lucinda Russell has committed a hoy senor to the King George, having originally seen bounds for the Roland Merrick. Having chatted to her on Saturday on Racing TV, she suggested it was um, her view that the Roland Merrick might just suit better. But um, uh, Messrs Scudamore and owners at home felt that maybe the King George was the right race. They seem to have won out. What do you think? I um, admire the ambition and they're not shying away from a challenge because let's be honest, they're taking on uh, the beast of a race as opposed to an easier option. Um, Ahoy Senor for me has been disappointing in his two runs this year, but I obviously would take confidence from the fact that they're going uh, into this class and they obviously feel like he is better than his previous two runs, but he will need to jump an awful lot better. He'll have to be easier for Derek Fox to ride. If he's going to get nearer to Brave Man's game as than he did in the Charlie Hall, if he's going to even touch the likes of Lampresse or Hitman. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that he's in the race. Do I think he has a chance? No. He's, he's hammered Brave Man's game twice, Jane. His jumping is just, when you're at that level and you, you give away as much energy as he does... Not even Denman could do that. Oh, okay. Um, I love the horse, by the way. Yeah. It doesn't sound like I do, but I think he he doesn't help himself. Look, he'd have had more chances of, of winning at Weatherby, no doubt. And um, that's where I'd probably have gone. But I but love they have, the fact... They have a grade one horse and they want they to win do. grade ones. And I, I admire that. I have said that. But it's... Um, if, if he put it all together and he said to Derek Fox, I will do everything you ask me to do. I would fancy him, but he he doesn't do that. Well, taking Derek Fox on in the race is going to be Sam Tristan Davis. He rides Hitman. I caught up with him a little bit earlier on and asking him about the ride and and a few other points as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Obviously, and um, incredibly kind of, of all the owners um, to show their faith in me, and hopefully we can have a bit of luck and um, reward them with the support they've given me. It'd be lovely. So, what what are you expecting from the horse? His profile is, is, is there for kind of everyone to see. He's a young horse. He's a very talented horse. He's up there, even at his young age, he's put out some seriously imp- imp- impressive figures. So I think it's very much a case of um, the three miles is a question, but there's no reason not to say that's going to bring more improvement about him. And everything he's shown so far just shows he's an incredibly talented horse. And you know the thing everyone says is if you're going to get three miles anywhere, it's around Kempton. But is that actually the case? Is it? I mean, it's a test, isn't it? What it is, so it's a very fair test, obviously, there's a lot of jumping, he's a good economical jumper, in sitting on him this morning he has a good way of going, he doesn't waste energy, so I think he's got a lot of the right attributes that will really suit King George. Is that the first time you've sat on him at home? It is, yes, but everything went smoothly, jumped well, and um, they obviously do a fantastic job of all the schooling down there anyway, so it was very much a case, just went to get a good feel of him, and thankfully seemed to get on okay. Okay, good stuff. Is that the only grade one 
um, horseshoe you're going to be riding on the day, or is I like to move it going to run? Do you think? It's a tricky one with I like to move it because obviously everyone's seen what Constitution Hill is capable of doing. So I think it's very much a case of sit down, watch the declaration tracking, and leave it to the last minute. If that race was filling up and looking uh, very, very competitive, we could always divert to the Rail Kill, which is we'll be trying a new trip at Cheltenham, but he does have a fantastic record around there. So it'd be a case of going and trying and seeing. Right, what do you think is his best trip is then? Well, he's a very pacey horse, but at the same time he does relax well, so it could be well worth trying that race in what, what won't be as deep as um, the, the race at um, the Christmas Hurdle at Kempton. See, and, and we know that, that great winners have stepped out comfortably into Group 1 company before they've won Champion Hurdles, so, I mean, he's, he's, he's on the up, isn't he, your horse? Yes, he is. He's, um, well, the new one, we never had any problem jumping up in trip and then stepping back down. So we're hoping, obviously, if he could ever fill up horse's shoes, it would be the dream to be his, but they're incredibly big shoes to fill. But it may be well worth trying, just in the, in the case that it won't, doesn't look like it would be a massive field. And at the end of the day, we know he goes right around Cheltenham and we don't have to ride him as aggressively. So I think there are a lot of positives as well. Okay. Um, just we're discussing the the whip and and um, you know, PGA pushback etc. Today, I don't um, want to get you into all of that. But what I am interested in is for somebody that's been riding for for such a long time now, your your own style and your uh, attempts at adapting to a backhand position. Just take me through that if you can, and and, and how you have found it. Yeah, it's obviously very different. It's more also maybe in more so that when we adapted the rules originally from dropping down to the amount of reminders we did have originally to then down to the eight, it was always, I was then taught, kind of Carla Wellen would have always been my jockey coach, that if you've only got a, a certain amount, then you're doing it in the best possible way. You're using the, the amount of um, reminders you have, then you, you're best to use them in as best efficient possible way. And for me, the best way is that is in the forehand position, as I can use it more effectively, I can change hands quicker, I can use it in a more effective way than I can the backhand. So for me, it would be a big thing to swap over is it's something I wouldn't be particularly well practiced in but it's very much a pleased the conversations are happening and it is hard for a lot of jockeys to use the back end and the, the way they do see fit so obviously there's a lot of conversations to be had a lot of um, more uh, a lot of jockeys would, would speak about it a lot better than I can but I do think it, it is a big question mark to be going forward with um, and, and just as somebody that's that's never used a whip on a horse just just um, for, for, for the purposes of accuracy, where you are striking a horse, um, is that something that is easier in the forehand position because you that's what you're used to? Or do you just think generally it is, with regards to reach and things like that, it is easier to, to be accurate with the whip in the forehand position? You just have a lot more range, is the truth of it. It's so much easier to uh, get your arm back to land the, on the rump rather than in the backhand position. It becomes a lot harder. You really have to make a big effort. Whereas when you're in the forehand position, it's a lot easier, it's a lot smoother um, action to use. So then it makes it a lot easier to connect with the, the right part. Okay, very helpful. Sam, appreciate your time. Good luck today. No, anytime. Thank you very much. Jane, I think the things to take out of that, first of all, I like to move it, might well be going up in trip to a cleave, depending on declaration watch and, and what lines up in the Christmas hurdle. What I took from that is that this horse is uh, he's a possible champion hurdle contender in another year but this year it might just look a, a little bit too strong with the the mighty mare and the second coming
Yeah, it's he's a five rising six year old and he's got time on his side. So I can understand that they might want to go that route. But I'd imagine the champion hurdle won't be any weaker next year. Um, he's a very good horse. Won the great wood with top weight. Um, do I think he's a champion hurdle horse? Probably not yet. Uh, he could develop into a horse that Tristan Davis did very well. We call the new one. And uh, yeah, I'm interested. He is obviously he's got a soft spot for this horse for good reason. He could be the the horse that sets the stable in lights once again, because you need a horse like this to carry you forward. And he's, he's already a six time winner, but if he's going to take that leap into to the real hot water, he needs to improve again. What did you think about what he had to say about the whip? This is with news that there's been pushback from the PJA on the proposed new whip rules. And there's, potential for rowback from the governing body um, whether or not they'll do away with the backhand uh, rule that it can only be used in the backhand position altogether I don't know but I thought Sam's uh, points he made were interesting particularly as as someone that's um, never held a stick in his hand on top of a horse. Yes Sam makes valid points as to the technique um, I would call the artistry of the stick and to actually strike the correct part of the rump as he say you have to completely change your technique uh, if you're using it only in the backhand position i am surprised the bha are backtracking i think it shows weakness on the part of the regulator i think they had they had taken a 12 month consultation period with two senior jockeys on the board uh, of the steering group um they released their findings in July. So five months later, there's a revolt. I'm surprised by that. The time to have a revolt was when they released their findings in July. Um, is it right that the BHA are backtracking now? I think it sets a precedent for the future that, yeah, I, I agree that they should listen. But the time for backlash was not now. It was not two or a month before a month before it's supposed to be implemented or the bidding in period is supposed to come into effect. But that's just my opinion. I was against the thoughts of it anyway, because I think the backhand position and the forehand position is an idea of perception and you're still striking the horse the same number of times. Take uh, Sean Bowen's ride on Noble Yates at Aintree as a case in point. That was a good ride. He rode to the rules as they will be in 2023 and he got a four-day ban for hitting the horse in the incorrect place. So it just goes to show that they're going to have to be uh, a lot of practice and a lot of um, understanding on behalf of the jockeys if this does come in. I have no doubt that the BHA's intentions are right, that they are listening to the stakeholders in this case. But again, I thought that the time for listening was over. Um, personally, think that the new rules are, it's like patching up a sinking ship with paper or papier-mâché. I'd say... The, the stick will eventually disappear beneath the waves if we keep like it's it's 10 years. It's October 2011 when the number came in. So we're 10 years down the line. We're talking about changing the way it's used. Sam has mentioned there that maybe the number of strikes should be the concentration. And maybe that will be the happy medium between uh, the BHA when they do look back at what their possible mediation process could be. Will they lower the number of strikes well if you lower the number of strikes again as i said you're just etching away at the inevitable but uh yeah it'll be interesting to see because they're under time pressure now the bha if they want to stick to their timeline of the new year then we'll be hearing some news soon um yeah i I thought that was 
an interesting takeaway from what Sam had to say that his um, jockey coach or former jockey coach, I can't remember exactly how he put it, but Carla Wellen had pointed out that, that once the numbers came in, once you're down to eight, became more focused on using the horse most effectively, which they felt in was in the forehand position. Um, and that leads me to think that if there is going to be some give from the BHA on, on being allowed to use it in the, the forehand position surely they're going to have to take something away and would the majority of the weighing room prefer to have fewer strikes but strikes in the forehand position well I, I get the impression that that is the case okay I've spoken to Gordon Elliott the this morning um give me a quick rundown of the engagement for his horses Jane um currently has six entered in the the two grade ones on the the 26th um and, and the two that, that are atop the betting, Fedor at Leopardstown and Jerry Colom at Limerick, are going to take up those engagements. Jordan Gainford will ride Jerry Colom. And um, he said Jack Kennedy still has the choice to make with regards to what he rides at, at Leopardstown, Jane. Could be Hollow Games or could be Fedor. You would imagine it would be Fedor based upon that horse getting weight and his prominence in the, the betting. Uh, first of all, just just touch on on Fedor, a nigh on odds on shot for the Racing Post app novice chase. Yeah, good four year old. They stayed over hurdles with him for his first start this year. Um, Brazil beat him comprehensively, and they went chasing. Then, as you mentioned, he get the four year old allowance, and he was just behind Vauban in in last year's Triumph Division. So. Uh, he's a good horse. I was impressed with Hollow Games. I don't think it's a straightforward decision. Uh, Hollow Games was very good at Navin, and while he was a little bit disappointing over hurdles, he looked like he was a, a, a more of the finished article when we saw more offensive. So they're two very good horses to be able to choose from. You mentioned that Jordan Gainford will be riding Jerry Clum in Limerick, the race where he was just beaten on the line by Master McShee for his first grade one last year when he rode Farouk de Lens. So it'd be great for him to get uh, his head in front this time. But does that mean Mighty Potter does not go to Limerick? Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, it's a it's a possibility. So three stripe life and Mighty Potter might run. Jerry Colom definitely will. The one who won't run in it, that's entered in that limit race is Manella Crooner, who will take up the engagement over three miles. So so that horse will go over in, in the, the three mile race on the Thursday, which is the Neville Hotels novice steeplechase. Still a decision has to be made on on Mighty Potter and Three Stripe Life, but Jerry Colon will, will definitely ride there. I asked you, um, we were we were sort of casually chatting last night, Jane, about the sort of order of jockeys at, at home at, at Gordon's. Um, you suggested it would be Jordan Game for two, Sam Ewing three, if you like, Dennis O'Regan as well in the mix, and that's exactly what, what Gordon echoed. So a real chance for Jordan Gameford to step up this year, though he has had chances in the past. Yeah, well, see, Henry, or sorry, Gordon has the the strength and depth. He has the numbers and the quality. So he justifiably needs to have that number of, of talented riders to be able to call upon. But it's, I suppose, the profile, the age profile of these riders that is so exciting for Gordon that he has... Jack is very young, early 20s. Uh, Jordan Gainford only turned pro in the last two years and has just been a revelation. And Sam Ewing came through the flat ranks. He was with Joe Lyons and he got a little bit heavy. But of course, his dad being Warren Ewing, you'd imagine he'd have always had his, his eye on jumping anyway. So those three young recruits are a serious asset to, to his team. And then to be able to call on the likes of... Dennis O'Regan with the experience that he brings to the table and the coolness and just the obvious skill that that man possesses. Uh, it's quite uh, the weapons at your disposal, as I would say, because I think owners in particular like consistency and they like that those riders are at home 
uh, in Cullen Draw every day, riding these horses and seeing them and knowing them. So I'd say that for Gordon Elliott is important. And it. I think Jack Kennedy is already one of the very best in the business. We've paid tribute to riders retiring, but there is a changing of the guard already after starting and Jack is is to the forefront of that, and Paul Townend, who gets zero credit for the pressure that he's under and the mistakes that he rarely, if ever, makes. So uh, those two riders are exceptional. And um, yeah, I, I genuinely feel that Gordon Elliott is, has the strongest strength and depth when it comes to his jockeys of any trainer in Britain or Ireland. You got me thinking, who's going to be Irish champion jockey this year? Jack Kennedy. Definitely. Well... I, I think there's been a conscious effort to, to try and make him champion jockey because he, uh, obviously Davey and himself have always been sharing the rides, but he's been first jockey to Gordon Elliott all this season. If you've been looking at the rides, he's been taking up and uh, he's got a good lead now at the top of the jumps championship over his nearest rival, Paul Townend. He's currently on 73 and Paul Townend's on 47. Well, there and you he, are. We're heading into January. There's a lot of spring festivals. Punchestown is in the end of April. And I think Jack Kennedy is not going to exactly wean. I know Willie Mullins is going to step up a gear and Paul Townend will be riding a lot more winners than he did in the autumn. But Jack Kennedy isn't going to stop riding winners. And uh, I think we're going to have a new champion. Okay, Gordon said he will run three, his three, in the um, Savile's Chase. So, Conflated, Fury Road and Galvin, all likely to line up in that. Good news for the race. Good news for the race. Um, The main horse that we're all waiting to see, of course, is Aplutar, to see if he comes back and uh, comes back to himself. You've also thrown in the likes of a Stackler, could Manila Indo uh, appear there? It's uh, the, the Savage Chase is always a good race, it doesn't always be that predictable. And uh, yeah, I, I was surprised when Conflated did what he did last year. And let's see if he can back it up now that he doesn't have the assistance of a Davy Russell. But Galvin disappointed a fraction in Down Royal, has another point to prove. And Fury Road has to step up to that level. He's a grade one winning novice, but he needs to do do it a little bit more now in open company. But Aplutar is the main one. Will he go? And if he does line up, what does he do? And you wanted to know about American Mike, didn't you? I did. And I got an answer that I wasn't all too surprised by, that he's going to go straight to the Dublin Racing Festival, Miss mm. Christmas. Um, because he obviously had an issue when he, you know, he, he didn't perform at all really in Navin and he jumped poorly. And there was obviously an issue. They found the issue. It sounds like they found the issue. And those things don't heal themselves overnight. So I'm I'm not surprised they're giving him a little bit of time. And I'm not losing faith because he's a very good horse. And if everybody loves Facile Vega and is excited by what he can do, well, this is the only horse that even got relatively close to him in a bumper last year. Let's move on um, to the allocation of HRI prize money. Tell me about this. Yes, so um, the government funding for Irish racing this year rose by 2.4 million to 72.8 million in 2023, a not insignificant amount. So then it's up to the HRI to allocate out where this money goes, and they've announced uh, a number of changes for the coming season. So they've announced an increase of 1.7 million euros to race funding in the annual budget. So that's up from a previous high figure 
of of the previous highest figure, sorry, of 66.1 million, which was in 2019. So prize money levels are set to be a record of 68.6 million in 2023, which is, in, you know, that is a serious positive for Irish racing. We need to continue to be competitive when it comes to prize money if we're going to keep our best horses here at home and, of course, reward owners as well. Uh, investment in uh, equine welfare for 2023 has been kept at 2.7 million, but they have increased um, the the money allocated to industry welfare, education, and training. That gets an increase of 200,000 euro to 800,000 euro. And uh, something that'll be very important to a lot of people in the national hunt sector is that the point to point sector receives a 14% boost to 2.6 million euros. That's up 300,000 compared to last year. Uh, Increased grants uh, per fixture, which were introduced on a temporary basis in 2021 to help um, alleviate the impact of the pandemic. Uh, They are being maintained permanently, but they're also being increased by another 500 per meeting. And after asking my dad a little bit earlier, how much does an individual fixture point-to-point fixture receive from HRI. He said it's around €16,000 and this boost is very, very welcome for a lot of committees around the country who keep those point-to-points on a voluntary basis themselves afloat. Uh, Yesterday, we had El Fabiolo take to the track over fences, Jane, at at Fairy House. He won his beginner's chase. It was the first of a a double for Town and Mullins, who also took the rated novice chase with Hard Door. What did you make of El Fabiolo? He's a horse that I have a lot of excitement for because I don't think we have any idea how good he is. He went from winning a maiden hurdle at Tremor last year to being a neck behind John Bond in a grade one at Aintree. Came back, he he won at Punchestown. And what he did yesterday was just confirm that he's actually the real deal. He beat Colonel Mustard. So Colonel Mustard is a 143-rated hurdler. He's been placed in multiple grade one novices. He beat him on the bridle by 19 lengths. After making a few mistakes, he wasn't foot perfect at his fences. He was a little bit stupid when he was in tight. He did give the birch a fair rattle, but he, he's he's a... I think he's a serious machine, and I think you do agree because he's in your. Is he yours to follow for the year ahead? Well, he's well. So I, I gave um, two horses to follow to racing TV. One in the written magazine, and 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 one on video. He's one of those. It's be- better to spread your good horses out, right? But um, yeah, he he's uh, well. I tell you what, he was. He was my sort of anti-post Cheltenham tip for the Arkle before John Bond came out and absolutely pissed up twice but john john bond's very good but he's he's going to have more opposition than what the word was suggesting to two weeks ago you didn't have appreciated out you didn't have el fabiolo and there's going to be much more over christmas just take a look at willie mullins's stat there in the last 14 days he's had 25 runners of which 10 have won so that's a 40 percent strike rate for the champion trainer in the last 14 days and christmas is coming and let's be honest he's only just after opening the floodgates I think the point about El Fabiolo that I took from from last year when I saw him and uh, he and John Bond facing off at Aintree. I mean, El Fabiolo just embodied a chaser. Um, not that John Bond didn't, but I thought there was he, he more so physically looked as though a horse that was going to transition beautifully to fences. The thing is, John Bond has been absolutely exceptional. So, I mean, there's a good bit between them in the betting now compared to a, a neck between them at Aintree, as you say. But um, I think the most interesting with with El Fabiolo is is how he jumps on his second go over the bigger obstacles. 
Correct, but I still would say he was second only beating a neck after just one run for the yard in a Tremor maiden hurdle where he didn't come off the bridle. And one other thing of note, I was at NACE on Tuesday, the rescheduled NACE fixture, and Willie Mullins was interviewed by the parade ring commentator, and he was asked about a number of his contenders over Christmas, and one of those contenders was Sir Gerhard. And Willie said to the uh, listening public around the parade ring that he wasn't happy with Sir Gerhard's most recent piece of work. He's going to miss the Christmas period into the new year and he's going to give him two weeks to try and get him back to where he wants him to be. So that's one horse that would also be fitting into the novice chase bracket. Uh, Sir Gerhard won't be seen out in the next couple of weeks. Okay, Uh, interesting update. Right, Um, we need to join Nick. Okay, time now for our monthly check-in with the team on the Godolphin Flying Start, the intake who began 2022, and we'll graduate in 2024, taking in a whole wealth of experience across the thoroughbred industry globally. Annie O'Rourke today. Uh, Annie, thanks so much for for talking to me. We'll talk about this month's podcast in in a little while, but tell me a bit about about you, first of all, and, and how you landed in the spot that you're in at the moment. Uh, well, good morning, Nick. Um, thank you very much for having me on. I was fortunate enough to grow up in and around Newmarket. Um, I grew up on a stud farm, stud background, uh, family ran horses. Always had a passion, always knew I was going to come back to this. Um, but I went away to uni, studied psychology um, up in Edinburgh. Um, but during my summers, I would come back and I worked for Malcolm Bastard in Lambourne and Curie Pontel, just, uh, just outside Nantes in France. Um, from there, I graduated uni. Um, I then went and worked for Stroud Coleman for a few months. Absolutely loved it, uh, but realised I needed a bit of stud experience. I'd worked in, in training yards, like I said, um, but I'd, I'd heard about the Irish National Stud. Uh, my dad was a graduate uh, a few years ago now. So I applied for that and was very, lu- very lucky to get on that. Um, and then from there, I applied for Flying Star and here I am. And so when you did your psychology degree in, in Edinburgh, were there any moments during that, during your, your student time where you, you thought, ah, there's, a, there's a wider world than, than horse racing here? Or was it always such a powerful pull that it was, it was drawing you back? I think I had an appreciation that there was a wider world, if you like. Um, but I think you can take the girl out of, out of Newmarket, but you can't take the Newmarket out of the girl. Um, and I was I was always going to come back. I've I've always been completely um, completely taken with the industry, completely taken with the horse, um, and it was always going to be the career that I followed. It's interesting the experience that you've had a, a big training yard, uh, Alex Pontal, uh, probably the the preeminent um, preparer and pre trainer of horses, Malcolm Bastard, and 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 then working for for Stroud Coleman as well one of the foremost bloodstock agencies so you've had experience of the very best in all those fields uh, and now you're getting more of it on the on the flying start is it clear in your own mind now which aspect of the industry makes most appeal um i think it's a difficult one because we're in the industry as you well know that offers so much um i think at the moment i'm definitely leaning towards the training side and the racing side um, but I wouldn't want to. Uh, I wouldn't want to pin pin anything too much because I'm very open to ideas. And this course is great because every day I see something completely different, and your eyes are opened, and you meet so many people. Um, but at the moment, I'll stick to the racing side and and hope for the hope for the best. Okay, and tell me about what you and your your fellow course mates have been up to the last few weeks. Well, we've had a very busy few weeks. Um, we landed here, as you know, by the end of October, um, as Jamie told you. 
Um, we had a fantastic time at the sales. We were all going around with different agents. Um, we've visited uh, numerous numbers of trainers yards and stud farms such as Chiefly Park, Banstead Manor. Uh, we were at St. Mark Prescott's, um, Varian Stables the other week. Um, as well as our normal lectures on veterinary, we've had a mix of business as well, some legality, some property. Um, so we've had a real variety this time. Very busy, but extremely enjoyable. And next stop, Kentucky. Now, the Kentucky winter can be can be tough. And I know this is where everybody everybody gets their, their hands dirty a little bit. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think uh, we've definitely been told to pack our thermals. It's going to be a bit colder than here. Um, but we're all very much looking forward to it. Um, when we get out there, we're straight into the Keeneland sales, uh, where we're going to meet lots of people. Um, we are enlisted into the University of Kentucky and do a nutrition module there. Uh, we also do practical rotations where we have a go at foaling on some different farms, um, good old and other. Um, and of course, you're there for the Kentucky Derby as well. So very much looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a very special event and look forward to seeing you there. Uh, now, what about the latest podcast, Annie? Uh, what can we expect? Well, the latest podcast aired last week. Um, we have some great guests this week. We have uh, Ollie Falston, who talks about the SEPT sales and the December sales in general. We have Joe Bradley talking about the National Stud and Stradivarius. We have our very own Megan O'Leary, who's going to talk to you about her background and um, her application process and how she's getting on. And finally, Marta Martina Dempsey, who is our Irish coordinator, who talks about uh, applications and any queries anyone might have as applications are now open for the 2023 intake. Annie, thanks so much. Have a very happy Christmas. Thank you. And you. Happy Christmas. Right, the return of Kalashnikov on Boxing Day is very exciting for everyone and for trainer Amy Murphy, I'm sure. How is he, Amy? Yeah, no, he's in good form. I mean, obviously, very much a starting point. Um, you know, he's obviously been off the track since the Lionel um, two years ago. Um, but you know, we've done as much as, you know, we, we, we want to do at home with him. So he's ready to go and get his season underway. Do you know, I looked at his age, and I I know he's a rising ten year old, but still single figures. I could I, honestly, I couldn't believe it. So <laughs> well, I think because he won his Craig one as but he's still well. Look, he's still showing you that zest. He must be, otherwise, you you know, you wouldn't be bringing him back. But um, yeah, where, where yeah, do you feel no, you no. are with him, Amy? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's um, you know, he's he's, 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 done, he's done enough work at home, but. Naturally, like any horse having 18 months off, you know, he's going to he, he, he's gonna come on for, it, for his first run, but, you know, he's, he's fit enough um, to go and get started, that's for sure. Did you always know that you were you were going to get him back, or were there any hiccups on the way? No, I mean, like, with those tendons, you know, you're always uh, going out with your fingers crossed every, every night, so, um, you know, it, but he's touch wood, we've... We've had a smooth passage and, and hopefully um, we do so for the next sort of three or four days and, and, and more so afterwards, you know? Yeah, sure. Is it is it take each race as it comes or is there anything you have in mind you're working back from? Yeah, so it, 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 it came out of Wellaby Well. Um, we've, we've had off an eye on the Winter Million at Lickfield, um, which is third week in January. Hmm. Um, but obviously, you know... He'd need to take, you know, everything would go need to go smoothly, take it weather be well, and, and come out of it well. Let's hope so. Good luck. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. Right, it's Thursday, so time for the latest on the Saudi Arabian racing circuit. To give us the lowdown is Martin Kelly. Uh, Martin, welcome along. Big weekend for James Doyle. Tell us more. 
It was, yeah. Hello there, Tom. Um, last weekend, he was in Riyadh to ride on both Friday and Saturday. He had nine rides over the weekend and he left it late to strike. He went eight rides with no success, but on his ninth ride of the weekend, he hit the jackpot and it was in the big race as well. He landed the domestic group one. It was the Crown Prince Cup in Riyadh. And these was, his, I think, his first rides actually in, in Riyadh since he rode at the Saudi Cup meeting back in February. But he got the form of Sir Michael Stout trained My Frankel home in front in the feature race worth £215,000. And he didn't just win this horse, he absolutely bolted up. He went on to win by six and three quarter lengths. So you can watch it back on the, uh, the um, Jockey Club of Saudi Arabia Twitter feed. Really impressive. He beat a former Roger Charlton inmate in Luganini into second place. It was his first go over the mile and a half, the 2,400 metres in Saudi Arabia. And I spoke to James on Sunday morning when he got back and he said the plan with that horse is to bring him back to 2,000 metres, the mile and a quarter, uh, for the King's Cups, which take place on the 14th of January. And as you can imagine, Tom, this horse got a big reception when he came back in. He's locally owned by uh, Prince Faisal and he got a warm reception back into the winner's enclosure. And uh, James hoping to be back in Saudi Arabia soon to ride in some of the big races leading up to the Saudi Cup meeting on February 25th. And I was a huge fan of my friend when he's training in the UK. Good to see him doing so well out in Saudi Arabia. And he wasn't the notable, only sorry notable winner from um, the, the, the former... British Legion out there over the weekend. No, it's quite remarkable when you look through the, the results, just how many former British trained horses and good horses are racing out there and winning. And just to give you an example, Tom, we had the likes of Star of War, 80 rated with Richard Hannon, was a winner of a Phillies Open on Saturday. Going Places, 94 rated for Archie Watson, a winner on Saturday under Olivier Pellier. And on Friday, Pagan, formerly trained by William Haggis, rated 87. Liberation Point, rated 83 for Mick Appleby. They were both winners as well. And maybe the most notable one on Friday was a horse called Calculation, 88 rated when trained by Sir Michael Stout, of course, by Dubawi, out of estimate, bred and owned by uh, the late Queen. That horse had already won in Saudi Arabia, but also won again on uh, on Friday in race nine. And the little clue as well, maybe for the Saudi Cup meeting from Friday, Commissioner King, who was a cheap purchase from the Keeneland sales. That horse won a local group three on Friday, four-length winner, and the Jockey Club of Saudi Arabia were tweeting afterwards that he'll head to the Saudi Derby on February 25th. And internationally, Martin, anything of significance happening this weekend, Ari, the Saudi Cup? Yeah, quite a bit, actually. Um, there's eight qualifying races for the Saudi Cup meeting around the world, and another one of those takes place on Christmas Eve. It's the Hanshin Cup, and this is a qualifier for the 1351 Turf Sprint, a Group 2 race over seven furlongs in Japan. And there's been some notable jockeys have won that in recent years. Christoph Sumion, William Buick and Ryan Moore have all struck in that. So that's a qualifier on Saturday, uh, the Hanshin Cup. And hopefully some big clues for the Saudi Cup to come, Tom, on Monday, on Boxing Day. The Malibu Stakes is race 10 at Santa Anita. Uh, Flightline, of course, won the race last year. He was last seen winning the Breeders' Cup uh, Classic and beating into third place, Tiber. Now, Tiber has got the Saudi Cup as his target, and he represents significant connections. Trained by Bob Baffert, Mike Smith on board, big money Mike, and he also carries the colours of uh, Amr Zadan, who's well-known in Saudi Arabia. And, of course, Bob and Amr combined last year with Country Grammar to take second in the Saudi Cup before that horse went on to win the Dubai World Cup. And he actually runs on Boxing Day as well. He goes in race six on Monday. He's in the San Antonio and Frankie de Torre will be on board. So, yeah, big clues to come uh, from Santa Anita on Monday and last year's second also going to post. 
Yeah, that news that uh, Frankie's heading to to Santa Anita for Boxing Day and beyond broke on the the Nick Luck Daily. Uh, what was it? Nearly a few months ago now. Um, Martin, you have big news of a, of a big race taking place in Riyadh on the seventh of January. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we lost um, Prince Khalid Abdullah, didn't we? Um, a couple of years back, and there was a race staged in his honour last year. And entries closed for that on Sunday. The race itself is the Prince Khalid Abdullah Cup. It takes place on the seventh of January. So nominations close on Sunday. And looking back to last year's race, it was won by a former William Haggis inmate in Star of Winds. And he beat into second place a certain Frankie de Tori, who rode Recovery Run that day. Sylvester de Souza also rode in the race last year. So uh, Frankie was in town for it 12 months ago, and entries for this year's race close on Sunday. What are we going to do when he's. What are we going to talk about, Martin? <laughs> I don't know. We're going to be in big trouble, aren't we? We're going to be at a loss. Yeah. Um, this weekend, what can we look out for? Well, the racing once again, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in Riyadh. And just one notable horse looking through the entries I thought was of interest is a horse called Castle Bar. He was trained by Charlie Appleby. He's been out in Dubai with a different trainer, but he's rated 106. So he's a decent animal. He ran third in a group three at Maidan early on this year and was eighth in the uh, the Gold Cup on Dubai World Cup night as well. So he's no slouch. He goes in the 5.35 local time tonight. That's uh, race six, Castle Bar. And if you want to see how he gets on and see any of the other racing from Riyadh, you can do so. YouTube.com at Equestrian CR Live. Martin, thank you. Thanks, Tom. Jane, I need a tip from you, please, if you can. I, I, take, it, I take it you go to Maidan tomorrow, right? I go to air this afternoon. What? Um, because I'm surprised John Joe O'Neill is going up there when his dad has runners down in Foslas. But he must be going up there for good reason. And I think it might be to ride Are You Wise to That in the Novice Hurdle at 2.30 for his dad. Are You Wise to That is by Walk in the Park. It's a brother to Did They Leave You Out Too? But he's more important, his mum is a sister to Denman. And uh, I've been impressed with what he what he's done to date. And despite carrying a penalty, I think he'll be able to carry it with credit. Super stuff. Thanks to everyone at home for listening. And um, thank you to Jay Mangan for excellent insight as ever. That was Thursday, the 22nd of December. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.